Welcome to For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. My guest this week is Ed O'Brien, CEO at eMoney Advisor. eMoney is a leading provider of technology solutions and services that help people talk about money, specifically geared toward the world of financial advisors. We cover Bill's background before eMoney, what eMoney is doing to lead the charge in technology built for advisors, and what the future holds for advisory technology. And now, the great and powerful Ed O'Brien. This magical record button. And we're live. Ed, how you doing today? Zach, how are you? Good, good, good to be on the show today. Good, good. Yeah, where where are you today? We were just joking about time zones, but I'm actually not sure which city you're in. I'm just just outside of Boston. That's uh, that's where I was uh, born and raised. And uh, while I've been working most of my my time at eMoney in Philadelphia, um, you know, we've been back here around Boston with family during during the past uh, most of this past year for the pandemic. So the Northeast is home in general, then you're just kind of doing circles around the Northeast. It is. I always, I, I think of my, a lot of my life is the Northeast corridor, you know, with, with, with Amtrak and, uh, you know, we have, we have children in Washington, New York, we've been in Pennsylvania and, and, and stop in Boston. So sort of making stops along all those ways. Yeah. Yeah. Washington DC, do you mean, or the yeah, aberration? Sure. Okay. Gotcha. I yeah, was going to yeah, say that's, yeah. a, that's an aberration. <laughs> if you're talking about Northeast, uh, yeah. well, I love it. So take me back. I mean, you said you were born around that area. And one of the things about for fintech sake is we always try and get to know folks on a, a human level in addition to their day job. So tell me a little bit about kind of Ed's life growing up and what, what made you kind of take this turn into finance and spend your whole life in it. Gosh, gosh, now, now you're really pushing me, Zach. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I grew, I grew up in Boston, just outside of Boston and, um, you know, did, did, it was in graduated Stonehill College, which is just south of Boston in the um, in the, the mid eighties, and um, happened to find myself right at the, the sort of the start of the the mutual fund boom, and, and of course Fidelity was uh, a big player even then in sort of bringing bringing financial services and, and bringing mutual funds into sort of more household investment strategies at the time, and so found myself right out of college uh, working with Fidelity Investments and and. I technology role there and um you know over over time um sort of found myself working more closely with the very beginning of the the uh the independent advisor channel that that fidelity supports today in the fidelity institutional business so a lot of my career zach um was spent as as i talk a lot about in sort of the back office technology that supported advisors um you know getting accounts open and getting trades done and and uh so when i had the opportunity to move to the the front office of technology in, in e-money, um, I, I jumped at that about five years ago. So, you know, that's a thumbnail of, of the career that uh, finds me where I am today as CEO of e-money. That's a, that's a good thumbnail. Let's, let's zoom in on it and see how well manicured the thumb is. <laughs> uh, I'm curious, especially about the, about how technology has progressed since then. Fidelity from you graduating and your experience mm -hmm. in the technology side of things there versus kind of how it's grown. I'm, I know even, even today I've worked with banks that are still doing some things in COBOL. So I can only imagine what you've, uh, what you've seen through the years. Oh gosh. Yeah. We, we, we've come a long way and, um, you know, one of the things that I, I will I will just admit here is I, I, I joined Fidelity early, and um, at, at that point, um, oftentimes you were a programmer analyst, meaning you you did the business requirements, you wrote the code, you put it in production, you tested it, and you supported it because you had a pager um, in case things broke. So you know those things have become very distributed today. But I, I will tell you, you know, it was a it was a great way to sort of start my career because um, while while it really helped me understand the appreciation. I had for technology. I also understood that I was not a great software engineer programmer, and that wasn't sort of what 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 um, really sort of um, drove drove my interest moving forward. So I found myself sort of moving more toward the product development side of things in technology, and that's you know I'd, I'd say a lot of my 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 role over the past decade has been sort of more in that domain, which is you know where do you find the opportunities in the business to apply technology that either create, you know, 
interesting business revenue opportunities, or quite frankly, drive the right scale and efficiency that businesses need to thrive. So, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've sort of worked on all of those through the course of my career, but um, have have moved away from sort of the, the COBOL and assembly language programming that, uh, that I had done early stage. Yeah, it's it's quite a growth spurt that I think Fidelity has gone through just from the outside watching that happen. And then your shift to e-money is not a small deal in and of itself. So let's just go to that. I mean, you've had, you know, a history and a storied career at Fidelity, but e-money is kind of its own thing to some degree. Can you explain for the listeners kind of how to separate church and state there and how they should think about one versus the other? Yeah, I, I'm happy to because I, you know, while while we are owned by Fidelity Investments, um, we operate very independently, and in meaning that uh, there's lots of advisors and certainly retail customers that are part of brokerage brokerage accounts or, or 401k plans that that work through Fidelity and sort of the branded channel of Fidelity, but um, we at eMoney are. Um, agnostic to the idea of where an account might be, whether it's for the advisor or, or the, the end client. At the end of the day, we just want to help um, every advisor and every one of their clients um, drive better outcomes through financial planning. So by, by having that really simple mission, it allows us to sort of step back away from it really doesn't matter where the account is. Um, that, that's a very different model. And there's, there's plenty of people at Fidelity that worry about that. Our mandate's very simple. Um, in fact, to do the work that we do to try to aggregate the full financial picture for an advisor and their client, it, it even lessens the importance of where the assets of the liabilities may be. And it brings together it all in a collaborative technology for the advisor and client to work together. So through, through our, our sort of mission of helping more people talk about money, um, we sort of very, very much sort of liberate ourselves from having to worry about things like custody and where the account happens to be um, and try to make that simple. So we, we, um, we think of it this way. There are about 300,000 advisors in this, in this market um, and potentially we could serve every one of them because uh, we, we don't sort of worry about the affiliation to a broker deal or, or any particular enterprise for that matter. If, if an advisor sees good value for financial planning and how it can improve outcomes for their clients, then they're a great prospect for e-money. Yeah. So talk a little bit more about that specific piece. I come from a robo-advising background where I was working at a company called Bloom. We were in the 401k space. So I spent a lot of time obsessing about our connection to Fidelity. But e-money itself, as you said, is a very different thing. And I think the incentive mix that you're talking about is very interesting and worth digging into. But before we even get to that, what are these tools? Right. If we have a lot of regulators and bankers and folks maybe that have somebody else managing their money for them and, you know, don't totally understand what it's like to be an advisor. What are you kind of arming them with? Because I know it's a very robust set of tools. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Zach. So our, you know, the, the center of gravity for e-money is all around financial planning. Um, but, but I think it's important to recognize financial planning can mean different things to different people, depending on where they are in their life, um, where they are on the wealth spectrum, what, what the advisor business model is that's, that's providing the, the advice or the plan. So we, we think of ourselves as sort of the, the platform that offers the full spectrum of financial planning technology. So the, the capabilities that are included across that full spectrum are being able to a client to get a simple net worth statement. Where am I with respect to all of my assets and liabilities? And that becomes a starting point of every financial plan. Um, so that that's sort of common throughout the, the the entire platform. And then, you know, on the higher end, we do things like uh, helping with the state planning and tax planning and pretty comprehensive wealth planning tools, oftentimes helping to bridge generational wealth management. And um, you, you acknowledge this, this, what we just introduced this year in a uh, platform called Incentive allows some of the earliest stage um, customers to get involved with planning using simple rules of thumb around how do I get started with things like balancing the need for emergency savings versus investments versus saving for goals like homes and college savings and things like that. So we help we, we help people prioritize goals um, and make sure that they're, you know, they're financially set to achieve those goals. That's that's what our platform does really well. And again, I'll emphasize this. 
it's at any point of sort of the um, the life cycle of that client and the and the and the wealth spectrum they're on. I think that's um, something we're seeing more and more through technology. Advisors being able to provide really good wealth planning um, and, and financial planning to just about any client that that needs it. Uh, so you could serve you could serve somebody that's hypothetically charging on assets as well as somebody that's charging fee only. Then we we do that already, Zach. We sure cool. do. There there are different models out there, and, uh, and of course, there's a lot of hybrid, right? A lot of advisors yeah. that will do both. But you know, more and more, we are seeing um, fee only planning. Um, we are seeing subscription models emerge, right? Where where there are advisors that are you know starting to um, create recurring revenue subscription models out of financial financial planning. And that makes a lot of sense to me because, um, you know, this, this idea of having to sort of bury the fees for financial planning into the portfolio assets may not make sense because, the, it, it, you know, um, if, you, if you have a client or a prospect that hasn't yet accumulated assets and maybe their biggest issue is debt management, you still want to be able to help give them the services they need. And a lot of them very willing to pay. We've, 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 we've done research on this ourselves and there's um there's a willingness and an appetite to pay for financial planning, Zach. Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, I live in this world of, uh, if the word fintech doesn't come out of my mouth a hundred times in one day, then I probably just had a day off or something. Right. So I live in this world of slept through the day. Exactly. I just, (laughs) something hit me and I just didn't get up that day or something, but I, you know, I live in this, it's almost like an echo chamber in some ways. Right. And we have this, this thought that everything needs to be free. And it's, it's so rare that you see a company in the fintech space succeed whilst actually having the user pay them knowingly, right? Maybe, maybe they're making some money on the back end. You know, we don't have to talk about Robin hood, but I think listeners can read between the lines. If it's free, maybe you're the, you know, maybe you are the actual product. The old adage holds true. Exactly. It's, it's an interesting dynamic, Zach. And and, and I'm glad you raised it because um, not not everyone does think that way, which is, yeah, our, our, our model is, is really pure. It's, it's a technology license fee that the advisor pays us to use our technology and then offer it to their client. We, we do not take um, revenue, revenue share from any kind of product offerings. Meaning, so that's, you know, back to the that opening question, it keeps us really agnostic about what types of products and services or where, where accounts might be custodied by not having any of those revenue streams. Oz is, you know, really pure advisor needs to be able to pay and want to pay for e-money. Now, the, the, what I would say is for advisors that see the value that we can bring to their businesses and their clients' outcomes, driving those outcomes, um, our license fee is often viewed as, as a very reasonable. In fact, you know, very good for all that we do because things like aggregation, we don't, there's no business model where we sell client data to, to sort of subsidize, you know, aggregated data. That that's something that uh, we, we don't do. So it needs to be sort of built into the, the total cost of, of e-money. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to drive across the country, you need to put some gas in the car to get there. And that's kind of how I think about e-money. It's like the, yeah. it's the fuel, you know, you, you have to pay for it to some degree to get the value out of it, but yeah the value accrues, right? And, and over time, it definitely works out. The, the reason I asked the original question is actually because I, I have my girlfriend who recently signed up with a financial advisor. And, you know, if she's listening to this, she may be angry, but it turns out she's not wealthy, right? Like she's not poor. She's doing oh just gosh. fine. Oh but I know groundbreaking insight. <laughs> she's not a billionaire and she's charging or she's charging. She's paying, I think about $45 a month to a fee only advisor in Kansas city, who is very much focused on kind of the up and coming next generation of wealth or at least successful individuals. And, you know, like I said, sitting in this world of everything's free, $45 a month is groundbreaking. How does but, she feel about it? Did, did, did she feel like it's worth the 45 bucks? I mean, that's, that's a, that's a gym membership, right? Exactly. It's less than a, I mean, depends on the gym you go to. <laughs> it's either four planet fitnesses or half of a, of a 24 hour. Um, she loves it. But I think the component is the human. Right. And I think one of the other things about what you all have really done that's super interesting to me is this conversational focus, right? And having the ability for humans to actually connect. So I think as she was logging into a 
you know, logging into a portal and that portal portal told her you have this much money, you have this much debt. Why am I paying you $45? But because she can hop on the phone with somebody that can explain to her steps to take that she can ask questions, you know, she spends like 20 minutes a month, maybe talking to this person and she would probably pay double that. I think. Yeah. I, I, so your, your, your girlfriend is probably a lot. My, my two sons actually work with an advisor in a similar model where this advisor happens to use e-money. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's in around the, you know, that, that, that price range. But the point being is like, um, their, their questions are more in for both of them. I know things like, Hey, you know what? I, I just took a new job. You know, how should I be thinking about, um, uh, taking advantage of, 401k versus Roth IRA. So for me, like those are the kinds of questions when you're in your 20s and early 30s, you have the distinct benefit of time on your side. It's your Mm -hmm. biggest love. There's two levers you have at your disposal for, for most American households. It's how much time you have and your ability to trade off um, spending versus saving. Mm -hmm. And if you can work with an advisor to help optimize those, there's going to be a lot of people far better off when it comes time for retirement than I think, um, you know, than, than history probably has, has done. I, I think that's part of why I, I admire the advisors that are, that are out there, you know, creating these new models, these opportunities, because, um, I, I think that's the way you, you have to start thinking about how am I going to capture the opportunity to work with a client when they're in their, you know, maybe late twenties, early thirties, so that I get the, I, I, I have the, uh, the opportunity to work with them for their lifetime. And the next generation, and right? Next I mean, that's the, that's the other fascinating part. I did an internship at a, an investment bank that shall remain nameless when I was in college. And the, the holder of the keys to the account was always treated with the utmost respect, but you would often find that the offspring was maybe not so much treated in the same way, you know, and it always confused me. Cause I was like, isn't this, don't you want this to be a multi-generational relationship and don't, and also shouldn't you just be nice to people? You know, like there's very basic human things here, but it always confused me that that was not more obvious of an incentive mix. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's, it's recognizing the way that you might work with someone that's the next generation in the family is very different than you might work with the current generation. And so being able to adapt to that makes, makes a lot of sense. It, it, you know, your, your earlier point, it brings the human element to it, which is, um, you know, I can't just assume that the next generation's value system, the way they think about money, the way they think about, you know, philanthropic, you know, planning is going to be the same as, as their parents. I think if you, if you sort of, you know, go into it saying that, you know, it's just going to all be the same. I, I think you're setting yourself up for probably some, some failures. Yeah. It seems like on top of potentially being a technologist, you may be a little bit obsessed with behavioral economics and just behavioral <laughs> psychology in your day job. seems like that needs to be a focus of yours that you, you spend a lot of time kind of doing if then statements in your head. I, I talk with a lot of advisors and these are, these are the conversations. I think we, you know, oftentimes we get lots of great feedback on our, on our platform, but yeah, I mean, for advisors that get financial planning working well, I think what they find is they're engaging in sort of the next level of, of conversations, deeper conversations with their clients. It builds trust. This survey we did last year, just um, in the fourth quarter amidst the, 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 the COVID crisis, we found that you know four out of five advisors that had been working with clients that had a financial plan felt that the pandemic actually drove them closer. They drove a better relationship with their client than they had pre-pandemic. So to me, that speaks to in the sort of midst of a crisis, if you've been able to break through to some of those more behavioral you know, conversations and understand people um, you know, for, for what drives and motivates them, not just the, the P&L of their household, um, you, you have, a, you have a you know, pretty good chance of keeping that client in, in their heirs for life. Um, but yeah, I, that, that's, that's more just in sort of the, the group of advisors that I spend a lot of time with, not nothing that Ed O'Brien has come up with on his own. That's for sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, it's kind I of take no credit for anything. I, this is all just all things that I, that I learned from listening to people. Well, that's probably what makes you a good CEO, but it seems like, you know, all the best 
all the best advisors in my experience are almost 75% therapist, right? They're, they're 75% therapist, 25% financial planner. And one of the most fascinating parts about some of these robo advisors is the opportunity to talk people off a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. You're being, being a fiduciary and being an advisor with a phone number and a human, the ability to talk people out of selling last March, right? Is, is a big deal compared to a lot of people fleeing to safety, fleeing to cash when they have no one to talk to other than a, a buy button on betterment or something like that. You know, it's a, yeah. just such a different dynamic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I would even say the, even, even, even sort of the threshold of having a financial plan in place mm -hmm. prevents a lot of that behavior, right? Because, you know, when people know that they actually, you know, like I, I, I've had a financial plan, I understand that the market is subject to ups and downs, but guess what? That's what a financial plan is designed for. <laughs> um, and, and I know generally how I'm going to do. And so it allows people to sort of, you know, take take a breath and quite honestly focus on other elements of their life. I mean, think about the pandemic. Um, yeah. For people that had financial plans, my guess is they like they just sort of said, you know what, like in the in the scheme of priorities, I have a plan, so I'm going to sort of worry about that a lot less than some of the other things like my family, my friends. You know, my if 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 you know if a lot of folks have um, you know companies that they run. I mean, th those are those are much bigger deals, and so I think it helps if you if you feel like by having a plan, that's one less element of worry or factor of worry in your life. Yeah. I mean, we all get punched in the face, but at least with yeah. a financial plan, you know, the, the punching in the face, you have someone to go back to the corner and, and talk right. with at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. And, and you've been, you've been practicing taking some punches in the face along the way because we stress tested your, your plan. Yeah. Right? We, we know what happens right. in the ups and downs. Yeah. Um, and the usually yeah. my generation, the, a little less so, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, 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 true. But the, uh, you know, I think the, that's, that's a really good point. It's, uh, you know, the, 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 this, this sort of, you know, market always goes up kind of thing is, is not forever. You know, I think, you know, I've been around long enough to live to a couple ups and downs. Um, but it, it is true. Like, um, you know, when you start to think about a plan that's been stress tested and, you know, the, the oftentimes the advisors already have the conversation that, you know, if for some reason you start to fall short, you know, you, you could taper your spending, you know, um, maybe we defer sort of, you know, taking out of your, your retirement plan assets, whatever it might be. There's lots of strategies that are already in play that you, you sort of know the playbook if changes need to happen. Yeah. There's a lot of levers to pull. Mm -hmm. So yeah. before, before this turns into a therapy session for me and my finances, let's, let's get deeper into e-money. So let's keep talking about your girlfriend. Let's ask you <laughs> <laughs> she would love that. I'm sure she'd love to love to tune in and find out that I'm sharing the cost benefit, you know, the sharing her P and L live on air. Um, so you've been at, you've been in e-money about what, five, five years now. What, what was the status of e-money when you joined and kind of what has that trajectory been like in the past five years? I'm sure it's been, been quite a wild ride. Yeah. I, you know, I listen, I, I think I, you know, couldn't have chosen a better time to join e-money and, you know, it did, it did coincide shortly after Fidelity had acquired the business, but um, it was also, I think the time at which, you know, the, 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 fiduciary standard discussion really started to heat up. And that put a lot of sort of wind in the sails of how can you start to, you know, drive better clarity into how to align outcomes with, you know, advice and, and better outcomes for clients. And I think financial planning is a pretty clear way to do that. So, you know, we've grown dramatically from, from 2017 and um, to, to today, 2021, we we've, you know, probably more than doubled um, just about on, on every, every sort of factor of growth that he money wow. um, and, and, and probably, you know, north of that with respect to how we think about um, things like the number of end customers that advisors, um, you know, use e-money to help, you know, today, today we serve just shy of 5 million households um, through advisors, you know, so, you know, it's, uh, we still, we still have a long ways to go and to get to the, 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 the full United States here, but um, you know, you know, that, that, that's pretty big growth from what was um, probably just under 2 million, you know, five years ago, it's been good growth. Um, 
But again, I, part of this has been, I think e-money has done a really nice job um, sort of evolving the way that we think about financial planning into that full spectrum. And that, um, you know, we, we changed our mission to be really simple, help more people talk about money. Um, we want more people, more financial plans. So this sort of legacy thought that financial planning was reserved for the high end of the wealth spectrum, I think is, you know, that's, that's rear view mirror. And it's how do you now start to scale where you can the, um, the, the, the sort of development of a financial plan, make it collaborative, make it a, you know, something that's, that's the, the client's buying into and sees and believes as theirs. It's not some static document that someone produced for them. It's something that can help guide their, their just financial decisions. Um, and then I think, Zach, it creates the opportunity for the advisors to become more of the coach and, and sort of less of the, um, you know, the, the just, just creating a financial plan and, you know, giving you a big document that you have to sort of stick on your shelf. Yeah. That you don't really even understand unless someone's walking you through right. it sitting across right. the table. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've sat at those tables. I know that mm-hmm. feeling. So what is your, it sounds like your true North metric then is more along the lines of number of households served than it is maybe a classical assets under management. Interesting. We we don't really track assets under management because it's 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 almost irrelevant to how well we're doing. Uh, we, right. We, you know, other than what we do, what we do watch sort of in the aggregate is um, because it's important. As we look at assets that get aggregated onto our platform, that's usually a pretty good indicator that advisors are doing a better job of financial planning, meaning they're bringing in sort of the full picture of assets and liabilities. So we look at that because that's a driver of higher quality financial plans. Um, advisors that that use our platform to really understand cash flows, um, I, I think, generally do a better job because... Um, they not only help establish the right goals for the client, but they can help sort through how to prioritize funding for goals to make sure that they're actually achievable, right? Because, you know, unfunded goals, you know, don't, don't usually make a lot of sense. They're sort of out there as a, as a wish list. And so, you know, working with the client to say, I, you know, through, through, through this aggregation platform, I can actually see not just your assets and liabilities, but it helps me interpret your lifetime cash flow. And therefore, what are the things that we can afford and those that we can't? Yeah, I mean, it all—it sounds like journeying in the direction of, I think, what a fiduciary wants to be, which is almost mm-hmm. like a life advisor, right? Yeah. It's not even just about the, yeah, you have this much money in the bank. Yes, I allow you to buy this boat or yeah. whatever, you know, poor financial decision you want to make. Um, but it's about, it's that trusted partner that you can call and pick up the phone and have a conversation with when candidly the shit hits the fan. And, you know, it's a, you bring up a good example. And I, I always love the boat conversation because, <laughs> because some of these things get emotional, right? Like, oh and, yeah. And so you, you can't, you, you can't simply say that, you know, it's, it's the dollar value and the expense of the boat that should make or break the decision because for some clients that it's perfectly fine. So um, I think what, what our technology helps advisors do is actually remove a little bit of the emotion out of the decision because um, oftentimes you might look at the, the acquisition of that third car, the third vacation home. I mean, some of these and, and um, what you often forget is the expense that goes with them. And, you know, so in the example of the boat, the insurance, the docking, the, you know, the maintenance, the putting it in, taking it up you know, in the Northeast, you can't leave it in the water all year round. Right. So all those things that go into it that, you know, it wasn't so much the upfront expense, but it's also the ongoing. So this, this idea of when you can actually lay that out on, on your lifetime cash flow and show what a difference that acquisition of the boat today might mean in your lifetime and things you might be able to do or not do. It's a pretty powerful tool without the advisor having to say, Hey, Zach, don't buy the boat and, and make it feel like it's just my own personal bias as an advisor. Yeah. Um, so it can, it can help remove the biases and actually put things in, in, in a real factual way for clients to respond to. I, you know, you might still buy the boat and that's perfectly fine, but at least, you know, what I've presented you in facts doesn't necessarily feel like I've just been sort of, you know, slapping your hand saying, Zach, that's a bad idea. 
Yeah. I mean, rationality doesn't always lead to happiness, right? I mean, even I think it was Charlie Munger, like the the most logical man in the history of the world, the most rational man to ever live. He even bought an incredibly he he designed, I think, designed his own boat, had it made and then like, I don't know, sunk it or something. He did something incredibly stupid with it. I can't remember the actual story, but even Charlie Munger bought a boat. So It's, you know, Hey, if, if that, if that's where, you know, you, you want to, you, you want to drive, you know, happiness and it, it's, you know, you, it's hard to put a price on happiness. Right. And so then, um, you know, I, I, I think, Hey, go buy the boat. If, yeah. if that's what makes you happy. Right. Um, but at least, you know, going into it, what, what it might mean with respect to trade-offs in the future by looking at it sort of plotted out in lifetime cash flow. So, yeah, I like to, I like to think in my own like personal cost benefit analysis that I at least am mostly aware when I'm making really stupid decisions, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't bought a boat, but I've bought, you know, I, I like have right next to me, I have like a wall of sneakers that I couldn't afford when I was a kid and yeah. the cost benefit. I mean, if you plot that out on a line, that is the st- stupidest wall that I have in my entire house when it comes to economic, you know, <laughs> fortitude, but it makes me happy. So what are you going to do? I'll, I'll be rational somewhere else. Um, speaking of happiness, I'm very curious about kind of the, the culture that you've built inside of somewhere like e-money because you're, you're this rallying cry of conversation and this rallying cry of humanity. Uh, does that kind of penetrate into the the culture that you're building inside of the company? Like what is, what is the rallying cry there when it comes to that side of things? Oh, I, I think so. Um, you know, we, we, I, I think it's pretty easy for people to connect to this idea of helping people talk about money and, and, and trying to drive, you know, better financial independence for everyone. Um, so I, I think those are really, really easy sort of missions to, to, to grasp onto what we do. You know, of course, when, when you get down at the end of the day, we have, you know, 250 people that do, you know, programming and, and software development. And we have another 200 people that are answering phone calls, helping advisors, you know, create better plans. Um, so, I, I think by having really simple missions and, and objectives for our business act, it helps a broad base of, of, of associates who do really different things for a living at eMoney come together and, and sort of understand what, we, what our purpose is. Um, you know, I, I, I think these days it's pretty clear that, um, you know, things like compensation benefits are always very important um, as, as an employer, but, um, you know, more and more so. A sense of purpose, a sense of you know what what we provide um, outside of just sort of e money in our four walls, is um, increasingly important. And you know, I, I I think we're well positioned. We we generally do quite well with um, you know ability to to attract and retain employees at e at e money. We're we're just over eight hundred people here today. Wow. Yeah. So how, how has that been since the shift to, you know, the, the, the always, always present question of what it's been like since COVID. So it's, you know, so Hey, here's a good, you know, if you you think about five years ago, we were, um, we were two offices, one at one in San Diego that had about 20 or so people and everyone else was just outside of Philadelphia in our headquarters of Radnor. Um, and you know, we were probably at that point, um, you know, uh, just a, just a few hundred people, roughly half the number of employees, I, I'd imagine. Um, and at that point, we actually didn't even have a remote work option. So, you, you know, your job was in the office. Yeah. Um, today, even pre-pandemic, we had already implemented um, full remote option as employee money. Today, we have employees in 32 states. Um, and we have offices now. We, we did add one office in, in, in Providence, Rhode Island, which helped us sort of, you know, capture some of the talent from the Northeast. So, um, but, you know, at, at, at this point, um, you know, we are, we see ourselves sort of competing for talent with technology companies, um, more, more than financial services. So it's really hard to envision a model where you, so you, you go back to, you know, everyone needs to be in the office. Our point of view is, um, you know, every job at eMoney is, is, is a job that can be done remotely with the very few exceptions. We have a couple of people that are facilities, you know, looking after our offices. So sure. with, with those handful of exceptions, um, there, there's, um, there's, 
opportunity for, for people to do their job re re remotely, which I think, um, you know, for, for coming out of this pandemic, we will reopen our offices September 12th of this year, um, but it's not going to be a mandate, you know, that anyone has to come back. It's we have offices. You're welcome to come work in the offices. And if you'd rather work in Montana because that's where you want to be and you're getting your job done and you're a great talent. We, we love that model too. Um, so I, I, I think it's going to um, give us all a lot more confidence that we can still do a really good job building software, serving clients without the necessity of sitting shoulder to shoulder in an office. Um, and and it, it allows ourselves to, you know, for different things for different people. Yeah. Well, I can speak for myself and say that I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but also very much hopeful that it's a hybrid situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not something we want to do every day. Yeah. So it's, it sounds like you have, you know, the table stakes at the very least, right? I mean, it seems like a pretty open-minded culture. Seems like you got the work from home options, pay I'm sure is competitive. What is, what do you feel like is the 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 thing that you're pitching to engineers if they're considering e-money versus, you know, yada yada Silicon Valley startup kind of thing? Like is it a mission-driven focus? Like what what do you pitch to them to try and get them on board? It is mission that that that's without a doubt been in our mission is pretty clear, you know, to be able to help more people in this country be better in, in their financial lives so that everyone can connect to that pretty easily. Um, you know, I, I think it's also the importance of, um, you know, folks that like the idea of working in, you know, small to mid-size innovative technology companies, but actually the stability of having really good compensations benefits. You know, we have like, you know, real insurance and all, all the things <laughs> that go with a, a, a company of 800 people. Um, and so uh, not to mention, as, as we just talked about, some of the ability to be more flexible with, 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 with schedules and, uh, and, and location, like those are all big drivers. Um, the other, the other thing I would say is, you know, we're a 20 year old company, but, but we invest, um, <laughs> probably outside of what would be sort of conventional in our space, um, to make sure that we're keeping our technology really current. So if I, I honestly, all those other things, if you have really good software engineers, the reality is they're going to get bored if they're working on old crappy software or old crappy technology. And right. so in order to keep people interested and, and sort of want to continue to, to push forward with new technologies, um, you have to make those investments. And so I always think about, you know, if, if um, you know, when, when, when I have my, my meetings with our board, I'm always explaining why our R&D is higher than the industry average. <laughs> and I, I point to that's, that's our competitive advantage. That allows us to attract and retrain talent that otherwise are going to move on to someone else that will offer them those learning opportunities. Um, I am a firm believer that, you know, a lot of people stay for who they work for and with and what they're working on and is it interesting and are they learning? Um, and so those, those take investments. That's, that's one of the thing I would say is sort of a, a really, um, a learning for me as a CEO is R and D oftentimes is, is the uh, allowing your teams to explore new technologies, learn, um, you know, that there's failures in there along the way and that's okay, but it's all in the R and D line. And so, um, you know, probably outspending a little bit in R&D relative to our industry and our competitors, I think is a, is a good investment, good ROI. Yeah. It sounds like you spend just a lot of time living in the nuance of things, right? Like every, everything exists on a piece of paper somewhere with a line item and a budget and it is what it is on, you know, and you can read it straightforward or you can read it from the perspective of an investment for the future. You can read it from these, you know, these different nuanced ways. And it seems like the conversational nature of what you're running after, in addition to investing in the technology and everything else is just understanding these nuances that eventually actually become your competitive advantage for hiring, but also the product itself, it yeah. seems like. And I, to me, you're, you're spot on, Zach. In fact, today, because of the nature of um, you know so so much capital being put into SaaS technology platforms, you know it, there, there's so much information on how you can benchmark yourself in just about every element of your business. Um, and so, I, I always sort of 
you know, look at and say, you know, where we're performing in line, where we're not, but click in and say, like, why is that? And in the R&D example is a good one. I, I feel, you know, that, that I, I defend that all day long, that it's a good idea to spend a little bit more than industry average, um, you know, and, and especially in this vertical, admittedly, right? Um, the, 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 the fintech vertical serving advisors is relatively small. It's 300,000 advisors if you look at that. So um, it's, it's not sort of the, the consumer world where you have you know, tens of millions of households to serve. So that's something that we, you know, we always have to balance too, which is an industry that um, is you know, at, at the top line sort of slowed growth to almost flat. And, um, you know, we need to make sure that still, even in light of that, we're making the right, right investments to help those advisors do the best and grow their businesses, but equally making sure that we have really interesting and, and, and good stuff for our teams to work on and feel like they're, they're sort of, um, you know, stretching their, their, their engineering skills too. It's, um, but I, I would encourage anyone that's sort of in this, in, in any SaaS technology uh, business, you know, to make sure that as you do those comparisons to the industry standards, understand why you're, you might be different, but also why you're the same. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, the interesting part to me listening to you talk is this, the, the competitive landscape, right? And the investment in R&D, I find interesting because I'm thinking of other upstart specifically venture backed companies that are trying to build technology for advisors. Mm-hmm. And I'm drawing mostly a blank. Like I can think of maybe one or two off the top of my head, but for the most part, it's, you know, I, and then you think to like, well, okay, why is that? Right. And then you think about the, the, you know, macchiato drinking Tom's wearing or all birds wearing, I guess is the cool thing now, you know, uh, kids in San Francisco pitching a venture capitalist in a coffee shop back when they were open. And how would they ever even know that any of these advisors have pain points, right? How would they even know that this is a world worth digging into and investing in? So I would think that, you know, the next generation of this, like you almost have this moat as a result of I don't even know what to call it other than like perceived boringness or like a lack of understanding of the problem or something, but it's really interesting how you guys it's, continue to invest and everyone else is kind of just going and working on cryptocurrency or something. Well, it, you know, I think it is too, Zach is that um, B to B to C business models are always more challenging mm-hmm. than a pure B to C or, or, or B to B, right? Because like for us to be successful at e-money, we have to not only provide the right technology that satisfies the advisor, but it also needs to drive the right outcomes for the client. So you're trying to satisfy multiple levels. And in some cases, we're, you know, we're all, we're white label, right? There's, there's so many of those 5 million households that don't even know that they're sort of their, their advisors using e-money, which is perfectly fine, but that doesn't mean we don't care about their journey on our platform. Um, so we pay a lot of time and attention and we need to make sure that we understand that, but it does, um, it, it's a blessing and a curse because it while it, it's harder um, to, to, to run a business that way, I think when you start to get to a point where you have good momentum and things are working, um, you know, it is a little bit harder for others to sort of jump in and, and be successful. I, I will say like, um, you know, it's, it's just selling to advisors. You know, it, it, there's 300,000 advisors out there. And there's, you know, probably a hundred different business models, meaning like, you know, not every advisor you can just get to by sort of finding them um, on, on a website. It's, you know, understanding who they're affiliated with, what's the business model, are they doing financial planning, are they investments only? I mean, there's so many different models out there yeah. um, that it creates a very fragmented market. Um, and, and there's a lot of, you know, talk about nuances, a lot of nuances to finding how do you, how do you get to the right advisors for which our message is appealing? And that, that's time consuming and, and it actually is, is, um, you know, an investment. And so when you look at our acquisition cost, again, another, another SaaS metric that SaaS companies love to compare themselves to, our acquisition costs are generally a lot higher than any um, sort of a B, B, to, B to B or B to C directly. Um, but that's okay because the lifetime value of the client can be incredibly rewarding 
when you show them the value and they stay with you for nine, 10, 12 years. Yeah. I mean, it's a two-sided coin, right? Like once they switch to you, the switching cost for them is pretty damn high, but unless they're a new financial advisor starting from scratch, getting them to switch to you, you run into the same issue as them leaving you, right? It's like this kind of weird non-virtuous cycle or something. You know, I, I, I come to recognize it's, it's, it honestly, I'm not so sure it's the switching cost because that a lot of that's been automated these days. I, th- I think mm. a lot of advisors. It's just the question: Do they see that what what they're getting from e money is driving value in the conversations they're having with clients, and are their clients feeling like, gosh, by having that technology, I can see my lifetime cash flow. I can put all of my my important you know financial. In, in life documents into a vault that's really simple and I can share it with my advisor and my and my my attorneys and my tax preparers. It just um it's it's a platform that puts a lot of things together for the advisor and their client. And so um you know for for a lot of advisors once they they when they when they first sort of get going on e-money, after they get to using e-money with as few as five clients they can really start to see the value that we bring to those relationships. They're, they're tend to be better relationships. They tend to be bigger relationships. They tend to grow better than for those clients of those advisors that don't have plans or aren't engaged in our technology. So the ROI um, generally is pretty clear to an advisor, even after just getting going with the money after you know a handful of households. Yeah. How much time do you spend talking to advisors? Because it sounds like as CEO of eMoney, one of your main duties may be to talk to advisors. It sounds like a lot, a lot, a lot of customer discovery. It sounds like. Gosh, every, every day. Yeah. Every day, every day. I, 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 you know, take my weekends off when I can, but but if it has to be on a weekend, I, I do that too. Um, but every day, I don't think there's a day goes by that I don't that I don't talk with advisors. And, and Zach, I mean, I do like this is the fun part of my job. It's um, advisors of of all shapes and sizes and business models. Like the you know, and I I said earlier, I admire the advisor that's serving your girlfriend because they're out there building a new model that I believe is going to persist for decades to come. Um, we also serve advisors that, you know, they, they're, they're so sort of built around family offices. Like that's just not the right client for them. It doesn't make sense. We work with advisors that sit, um, in, in, in enterprises that serve, you know, thousands of advisors and that those are, those are very different. So it's, um, it's all different shapes and sizes, but at the end of the day, I sort of bring it down to, um, we, we help all of them do one thing, which is we help them provide advice through financial planning, better, better advice through financial planning, um, helping open those conversations around money that are sometimes uncomfortable. And for advisors that are able to do that and break through, I, I, I believe that's where they create clients for a lifetime and uh, e-money helps them get there. So, you know, that's where you sort of bring it all back to that. That's why it's sort of easy to talk to so many different types of advisors because our, our mission's pretty, pretty clear and, and it, it fits, it fits all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I, I love that you made that point because I do think people that are not in the space. And I say that as if I'm some kind of insider or something, right. I've been at, I've been at two advice jobs in my life. Um, but I'm obsessed with the space because a lot of what got me into FinTech is actually the fiduciary rule and the ability for an advisor to be, you know, broker dealer hat, fiduciary hat, broker dealer hat, fiduciary hat. Like I, that just made me so angry that I decided I wanted to spend the rest of my life in finance. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it's, interesting how little nuance the outsiders put on the industry, right? Like I'm sitting in Kansas city, creative planning is four miles South. Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got, we got RIAs coming out of every orifice in the city. They're everywhere. It's like one of the biggest wealth management cities in the country and they all have different models, right? Like creative is notoriously fee only others are notoriously not. So it's, it's, a very nuanced industry. And, um, I love the focus on conversation. Like that is the thing. I think that when, uh, Laura reached out initially to say, Hey, are you interested in talking to Ed? I was like, well, I, you know, I've heard of e-money before. I don't know. And then I dig in and the conversational nature and everything that you guys are doing, like it really, it resonates with me and I'm glad that you're doing it. So, oh, and uh, you know, I think it's, we, we have a great team at e-money and uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, one of the things that makes it really easy to, to get up and go to work every day is the people that you work with. And uh, I, I consider myself blessed 
but you know, it's like some of the, some of the things that make us different, right? When you go to our website, the, the heart of advice blog, right? It, mm-hmm. it, it really is driving at the, what, what we do for a living is to help advisors give better advice to clients. We're not making distinctions on what wealth levels are sort of what clients have done right or wrong. We're just trying to help everyone sort of get to a better place in, in their financial lives, which does a lot of things, right? It, it, it reduces stress. We, we know that quite well. We saw that in the pandemic, you know, those that, that didn't have emergency savings funds, um, had a lot more stress than those that did. So these are the things that we can sort of rally around. Um, I think they're important for all advisors. At the end of the day, even if the number of advisors stays static at 300,000 or give or take, um, the one thing that I keep my eye on is the underlying demand for advice continues to grow and grow and grow. And I don't see that waning because I think we're, you know, we're, we're coming into a period where more people than ever are starting to get invested or get interested in markets, whether it's through Robinhood or anything else. Um, at least they're, they're sort of coming to, wow, wow there, there's opportunity for here, here for me to think about how do I balance? What should be liquid for emergency savings? What should be deferred in tax advantage? What should be, you know, savings for, you know, houses? What should be invested long term? So I think more than the, the the more people that are sort of being brought into the the realm of investments is better for all of us. And quite frankly, I think advisors have great opportunities. They'll just need to sort of figure out how to really embrace technology and serve all the all the different types of clients that are available to them. And it, you know, quite frankly, which which model they they want to serve. Yeah, it's a hopefully the outcome of <laughs> a lot of the interesting things we've seen since uh the GameStop debacle and everything else. I mean, even cryptocurrency going wild, everything else is people asking questions and seeking professional mm-hmm. advice. Um yeah. I am definitely not that, so I seek it as much as I can and uh I appreciate getting to talk to you about it. I know we're coming up on time here, so I want to be respectful of that. Um, but my last question, it's like a question and a half kind of is <laughs> I never do anything too straightforward. You know that by now, exactly. Ed. I know. Uh, <laughs> is how can our listener base help you? Are you hiring? Are you looking to, you know, build business in one specific direction? So what can they do to help you? And then the second half piece is how can they get a hold of you and what's the best way to kind of learn more about e-money? Oh, okay. So, so on the, on the first one, yes, I'm, um, our careers website at, you know, so it's emoneyadvisor.com. Um, all, all of our, our opportunities that we talked about earlier that, that tend to be anywhere in the country are, are all there. We're always looking for great talent. Um, so, so Zach, yeah, that, that's, that's always helpful. Any, anything that, that um, is on that site. I mean, and again, it's, it's pretty easy just to be able to contact our talent acquisition team through there. Um, you know, similar, any, anything that, um, that that folks would like to sort of bring to me more directly, find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on the website. My email address is eobryan at emoneyadvisor.com. Um, always looking for, you know, comments, feedback, whether it's uh, those that have been clients of ours for 20 years or someone that's just looking to find out what does eMoney do. Um, I, I can promise you I'll get, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, but yeah, and then I, usually I, I, I direct people to our website. There's a lot of really, really great content there for those who just are generically interested in financial planning. Thank you. Ed. This has been a blast. We're going to have to check in again someday when we can actually hang out in person, but I've learned a ton and this was fun and thank you for the time. It's ditto. Thanks, Zach, and uh, have a good afternoon there. You as well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For Fintech's Sake with Ed O'Brien, CEO at eMoney. Dive into the show notes for more on Ed and eMoney. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and all the other things I'm supposed to remind you to do in your favorite podcast app as the responsible podcast host that I am. And if you want our weekly emails, go to forfintechsake.com and subscribe right there. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high, And I'm sorry I was away for a while, everyone. I missed y'all from the beyond, but we're back.